Andrew Hawkins. It's the last Sunday in October. That means Halloween is just around the corner. It's a very stressful week for me because I have to make an around the horn appearance that a lot of people put pressure on. I'm curious how much you enjoy this holiday. I'm 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 okay on Halloween. I never was a big celebrator of it, but I do enjoy a good costume, but I enjoy costumes year-round, so I don't need Halloween to, to dress up. Costumes year-round, because I'm very strict. It's October 31st and October 31st <laughs> only. I'm not dressing up at a party the weekend before, but you're good anytime. I'm good anytime, man. You throw a costume party at me, and I got something for you. And I like doing sketches, too, so I just have a bunch of random costumes here anyway, so it works out. You got to give me one. I actually bought a silicone, dark-skinned muscle suit in the event that I want to do a skit as uh, Shannon Sharp. And that is an honest-to-God true story. <laughs> it cost me 400 bucks. It just arrived here two days ago. Wow, that is more detail and a lot more fun than I expected. <laughs> Week 8 of the NFL had some scares in store for some teams around the league. The Chiefs lost to the Broncos for the first time in eight years. The 49ers dropped their third straight game and out of first place. The Eagles survived a fright against the Commanders. And the Vikings might be facing a horrifying rest of the season without their franchise quarterback. So Andrew Hawkins tells us who should be able to overcome their fears and who might be in trouble. I'm Israel Gutierrez. It's Monday, October 30th. This is ESPN Daily. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely. Drink wisely. So, Hawk, nobody can prove otherwise because this is an audio-only podcast. So I'm just going to picture you in that suit you just described for the rest of the podcast. (laughs) But to the field we go. And the biggest surprise Sunday gave us the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes getting beaten by the Broncos 21-9. to This is kind of the rivalry we expected when Denver traded for Russell Wilson, but just haven't gotten because they've been so bad. But how did the Broncos handle the Chiefs out there on Sunday? The Chiefs, first off, they turned the ball over, which is the easy football story. Like when they had opportunities, they didn't capitalize. But one thing the Chiefs have to figure out is weapons at the wide receiver position. It doesn't seem like Patrick Mahomes kind of has his go-to guy that in the event Travis Kelsey isn't open or defenses have shifted to only focusing on stopping him from beating them, that he has a guy he feels really confident about in moments. There was a fourth and two um, that he he put a beautifully thrown ball on Sky Moore, and it was a drop. And you could just see the frustration with Patrick Mahomes because that's happened quite a few times this season. 
So defensively, they didn't have their A game today. Uh, Bolton was out. And then offensively, when you have struggles like that and you turn the football over, even the mighty Kansas City Chiefs look like a regular NFL football team. How does that sort of manifest itself over the course of a season when a quarterback maybe can't trust his other weapons? Does it make them sort of a one-trick pony? Is that possible for Patrick Mahomes in this Chiefs offense? It doesn't help. Now, I won't say that it makes him a one-trick pony because if there's any team that I never worry about, it's the Kansas City Chiefs because they have an incredible ability just to kind of recalibrate based off of what you know the current situation of the team is. We've seen this way too many times with the Kansas City Chiefs but they have the best football player on planet earth in Patrick Mahomes. And so he does have an incredible ability to just figure it out and adapt his game or Andy Reid adapt their offense to work with the current situation. And I think even though they've had success so far this season, they're still trying to figure out what that rhythm looks like. And, you know, again, if there's any two people on planet earth that I would say would figure it out, it's Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes because they've done it so many times previously. Is it as simple as sort of refiguring out offense or tinkering something here and there when, I mean, you talked about it. You're talking about drops. I've seen drops several times yeah. from the Chiefs this year. Is it that simple or are these receivers going to have to sort of prove themselves all over again to Patrick Mahomes? I think they're going to have to prove themselves because I think what happens is like, you know, you bring a receiver in, you bring a player in at a certain level or an expectation of what the output is going to be. And if it doesn't live up to that, you got to go in another direction. Now, they had some players that have played well. At times, Rasheed Rice and Patrick Mahomes have absolutely been on the same page. But they just got to get something more consistent on the outside. Otherwise, it's going to be easier and easier for teams to take away Travis Kelsey. They need to make plays. And it's not even that they have to be, you know, putting out, put out like A.J. Brown. Mm -hmm. It's just the fact that when your number is called and we need a play from you, you got to make it. This was the second time in three games that the Chiefs saw Denver, or rather that the Denver Broncos saw the Chiefs. But after last week, we had a lot of people talking about the Chiefs being back to being the Chiefs, despite the fact that, you know, they've won some close games and really only blew out uh, the Chicago Bears. Where do you stand on the Chiefs now? Most importantly, because they're about to go to Germany to face that high-octane Dolphins offense and really see who's on the top of the AFC. Yeah, I feel like this was a bit of a trap game for the Kansas City Chiefs. It, it just felt like holistically they kind of went in flat and felt like they were just going to be awarded the victory. Right. This is the NFL. Those guys are on scholarship too. And the Denver Broncos obviously were very, very up for this game because they haven't beat the Chiefs in a very long time. And so anytime you have that scenario, it does feel a little lopsided. So I think it's a mix of the Chiefs needing to figure out some things. Again, defensively, they had some really key players out. But at the same time, it was kind of just a, a, a lapse in effort, to be honest. And, you know, those kind of things happen even at the NFL level that you can't look past an opponent. So my, my gut is you would have probably already saw the Chiefs best once they went against the Dolphins a week from now because they understand that all the lights and all the attention has been on Miami. But I think even more so now, having this loss to the Denver Broncos probably will serve as a pretty good wake-up call. So can we just say that the Kansas City Chiefs were successful on Halloween weekend of disguising themselves as the Denver Broncos? It was an amazing, amazing effort by the Kansas City Chiefs to do exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there's a couple of teams whose seasons seem to be moving in different directions this holiday weekend, if you will. The 49ers and the Bengals. It seemed like Joe Burrow decided to show the world that there is a difference between the first overall pick and the last overall pick <laughs> in quarterback. And I know the 49ers did not have all of their pieces. Trent Williams still missing, Debo Samuel still missing. 
But what did Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals show you in San Francisco? Joe Burrow is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's elite level. And it doesn't matter what you see if he has down weeks or you know, even down portions of the season. Holistically, from a skill perspective, he is one of the best. And I think today, what you saw was just him kind of putting that on full display. He's healthy. His calf is behind him. He had a you know, nice week of, of rest in the bye, and he's starting to get healthy. And even his team. I mean, even the way that the Bengals have responded to this early portion of the season tells you everything you need to know about what they think about Joe Burrow. They never waver because Joe Burrow never wavers. Even when he plays bad or he's not at his A game, he doesn't make excuses for himself. He doesn't point the finger, but he also never throws in the towel to say, man, I'm just saying, he doesn't get down on himself. He understands that it's a full season and that he has the ability. He kind of just has that Mamba mentality that, hey, I might not have got the best of them today, but wait till next week. And I think today, it kind of showed that. And even the teammates around him, like I said, they just continue to fight because they know they have the right guy at the QB position. Yeah, it also helps to have Joe Mixon perform the way he did today for the Bengals. So they seem like the team that is turning it around and looking like a contender. On the other side of that 31-17 to score, however, were the San Francisco 49ers, who looked like world beaters through the first five weeks of the season, It's their third straight loss, though. How have things turned around so drastically for them? I think it's a a number of things. Now, the injuries they have are significant. And I know with a Cal Shanahan offense, I think we've all, like, Jedi mind-tricked ourselves into believing that it's just automatic. It's plug-and-play. Anybody can have success. And I don't think that is the case. And when you take out one of the best receivers in today's game out of that lineup, especially the way that they use Debo in the running game, the passing game, both carrying, both blocking, again, the way a defense has to account for him. Mm -hmm. I think what you're seeing from Brock Purdy is him trying to figure out life without that guy on the outside. Now you throw in Trent Williams. You also throw in the fact that I think the Browns and the Vikings put a formula on display of how to kind of limit Nick Bosa, right? And Mm -hmm. if you can limit the pass rush of the San Francisco 49ers defense, there are plays down the field in that secondary. I think the Bengals receivers probably went into this week licking their chops, as did Joe Burrow, and they had a plan for Nick Bosa. They had a plan for that defense. Joe Burrow was healthy, and it looked like they were the inferior team to the Bengals who have not had the start to the season that the San Francisco 49ers have. Talk to me a little bit more about that plan for Nick Bosa and that front seven. What kind of details can maybe other teams learn from what the Bengals did? Marcus Spears and Dan Olofsky broke this down beautifully. What they did was they, they sent a chipper. Now, what happens when you send a, a chipper at Bosa? It's not just a double team. In a double team, you can see that coming as a defensive lineman. You know it's coming. You see the guys that are looking at you. You can prepare for it. Mm-hmm. With a chipper, it's like, okay, you, this guy is blocking you. And out of nowhere, a running back, a receiver, a tight end, is basically coming to take a rib shot at you, right, to help out. But you don't see it coming. And the thing about Nick, what makes him so special is his get-off. And the moment you have a little success on the chip, even when it's not coming, it's something you got to prepare for. So it slows you down a little Mm. bit. And once you get a really fast player thinking, second guessing, maybe not coming off as fast because he knows he doesn't want to get this unexpected rib shot. Right. Then it's like, okay, well, now I'm giving my quarterback a little bit more time. And, And again, offenses have had success against him in that. And these DBs have been so used to jumping the short routes, jumping in front of passes, kind of playing on their toes that if you give the quarterback extra time, they're kind of being exposed a little bit down the field. Yeah, well, so the 49ers come back to the pack a little bit, 
And that actually means the Seahawks take over the lead in the division in the NFC West. They won a tight game against the Browns and that great defense at home, 24-20. Every time I looked at that game, Geno Smith was dropping some dimes on his <laughs> receivers. Um, they've been sort of holding serve all year long. How do you feel about the 5-2 and two Seahawks? I think the, they're the best team in the NFC that nobody talks about. And they are a true team. I think they do incredible at the wide receiver position. Obviously, they have a great run game. Defense plays well. Like when you watch their wins, they're true team wins. A lot of the other teams you can point to, you know, whether it's uh, Brock Purdy is on a tear or, you know, Josh Allen makes a run or Patrick Mahomes. It's like with this team holistically, you know, when you look at them on paper, they're not maybe as talented as the Miami Dolphins, who you know are another great team, but they have all these kind of high powered first round picks and all these talented people all over the place. Seahawks definitely have talent, but they feel like a complete team that are winning games together. Certain sides of the ball are stepping up when necessary. Players are stepping up with, when necessary. And even today's win against the Cleveland Browns, I mean, they had a an unlikely interception under two minutes. And it was just kind of beautiful from a football perspective to watch the defense step up when they needed to. The offense get out there. Like, to your point, Geno Smith dropping dimes. The run game gets going. Even the play calling, the coaches are into it. So, I think they're a scary team. And the scariest part is because they're kind of just steady and consistent. And so far this season, there haven't been many consistent teams to start the season off. Hawk, I think you had Seahawks fans at the edge of their seats when you said, I think they're the best team in the NFC, and then gave a small pause before (laughs) you said, that nobody talks about, which takes a little bit of the fun out of that. (laughs) Come back to me in a couple weeks. Who knows? (laughs) All right, coming up, Hawk breaks down the big bad monsters that reside in the city of brotherly love. Picture this. You arrive at your hotel. You have an important online meeting lined up with clients from all across the country. You have your laptop open, ready to begin. And the Wi-Fi is so terrible you can't even connect. These type of stressful situations happen all the time, but they don't have to. When you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you have access to their free high-speed Wi-Fi. So you can take care of those critical emails, join your meetings on time, and even unwind by streaming your favorite shows without having to worry. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Okay, Hawk. The biggest monster I saw on Sunday was definitely A.J. Brown, as he helped the Eagles come back from behind to win 38-31 over the Commanders. Brown's been on a tear since he complained about not getting the ball enough. He had eight catches for 130 yards and two touchdowns Sunday, including a one-handed touchdown grab that was just frightening. Jalen Hurts threw for four touchdowns on the day, and the Eagles recovered from a 14-3 first-half deficit. Does this monster of a team have any weaknesses right now? Uh, I mean, on paper, absolutely not. 
I would say if you've watched the Eagles play this year, although they've had success, something doesn't always seem mm-hmm. right. Specifically, offensively, they haven't looked in sync all the time. Even today, like they're a much better football team than the Washington Commanders, in my opinion. And this is the NFL and all games are close, but they still weren't exactly clicking the way that you would expect the Eagles to click. And I think defensively, things have changed a year ago. They kind of run things differently. The the secondary play is different. They haven't been getting as much pressure on the quarterback as they typically were. And I think that's just a a product of new coordinators on each side of the ball. And so I think in this early portion of the season, they've been learning themselves. And whenever you have a team that's learning themselves and they're still coming away with the victories that the Eagles are, I think that's the thing that makes them the scariest because they haven't figured it out yet, and already they've shown to be one of, if not the best team in the NFC. I want to stick with A.J. Brown for a second because A.J. Brown is the first player in NFL history now with 125-plus receiving yards in six straight games. Mm. Was it as easy as just sort of talking it out with his quarterback and him being this level of unstoppable? I don't think it was that easy, but anytime a receiver says, give me the damn ball, I do get a little bit of a soft feeling in my heart. (laughs) I mean, even with the incredible receivers that there are in the league, everybody can have their opinion of who the best wide receiver is. But if I'm a GM and you're dumping all the best wide receivers onto a field and letting them work out combine style, and I have the first overall pick of my receiver, I'm probably going with A.J. Brown. Because Hmm. when you look at the size that he is, the speed that he has, obviously his catching ability, but his change of direction, like he truly is a complete package. He might not be as fast or as electric as Tyreek Hill. He might not have the same route running abilities as a Devontae Adams or a Justin Jefferson. But again, holistically, he could do the most. He can body position. He makes those one-handed catches. He can go up on a 50-50 ball, but he can also route you up. He can run a screen, change direction, in and out of breaks. He is just like a kind of the prototype if you wanted to build the perfect receiver. And so anytime you have somebody like that and you feel like your offense isn't, you know, reaching its potential, that player is going to go to the quarterback and say, help me make this easier on you. And since that conversation, that has been the case. This offense has been out of sync and it was even more out of sync early on. And it, it just seems like as they're trying to figure out this chemistry of what there will be in 2023, Jalen Hurts says, okay, well, let me just make sure I make the easy part of the offense routine. And that is going to A.J. Brown as early and as often as possible. And it's such a perfect fit for this quarterback because if Jalen Hurts can just buy a little bit of time, as opposed to, let's say, Tua in Miami, who gets the ball out as quickly as possible, Jalen Mm -hmm. Hurts, when he buys time, having that large a target out there in A.J. Brown, you see him every single time. And it feels like he's open every single time. Absolutely. And even when he's not open, he's probably open, right? Because what a a quarterback wants is, okay, even if I throw it and it's 50-50, just make sure it's not interception. Mm -hmm. And then more times than not, A.J. Brown is going to come down with a 50-50 ball. And so it does give the, the, the quarterback a lot more optionality, especially when he buys time the way you alluded to. I want to switch over to one of the biggest treats uh, anybody saw, I think, this Sunday. And that was sort of the discovery of, oh, yeah, Will Levis in Tennessee, that high uh, quarterback draft pick. He made his starting debut on Sunday and threw for 238 yards and four touchdowns. Had a nice rapport with DeAndre Hopkins, found him for three touchdowns. Throws deep downfield. There's Hopkins all alone. Touchdown, Titans! The trifecta! Levis to Hopkins! Titans beat the Falcons 28-23. 
from what you saw, have they found something in Will Levis? Um, I don't think there's enough sample size to make that declaration. Now, he played incredible. And mm -hmm. the thing that he did the best was to say, okay, I'm in my first start, a lot going on. What's the easiest thing I could do? Oh, I can get it to this Hall of Fame <laughs> receiver that I have on the outside. I'm going to try to throw it to him as much as possible in any scenario as far as I possibly can and show him that I'm going to give him chances, which is what your receiver wants. That was number one. Right. Now, the reason why I said you can't make that declaration yet, while he played an incredible game, shout out to Will Levis, you know, he was a new player. And this is what happens. We've seen, you know, backup step in, young guys step in, and a team that has no tape on you, that have no recollection of how you play, or they have no sample size or foundation to go or guard against, you catch them off guard. It happens with a lot of NFL players. The big question mark becomes, okay, next week, after they've seen you on tape, they see what you like to do, they see your tendencies, and now they really game plan for you. Now what is your output going to be? And I would even say beyond that, it's the big reason why a lot of quarterbacks who have success in their first year starting or in a rookie season have really, really hard time the following year because now you've put a bunch of things on tape and defensive coordinators spend a whole offseason trying to make sure that they're prepared for what they saw you do a year ago. And that's why the sophomore slump is so popular because it really is hard. Things yeah. become harder once you put it on tape. I will say, though, you know, early on, some of those passes that Will Levis threw, you thought, okay, maybe he just got fortunate to DeAndre Hopkins. But then a little later, he threw that really impressive one sort of off the back foot right uh, in the right spot in the end zone there. Levis rolling to the right, looking, looking, firing deep downfield, going for Westbrook, Akine in the end zone. He did have his moments. What did you see from him that maybe you didn't see or haven't seen from Malik Willis? I, I think just a natural, just raw arm talent and ability and athletic ability. Like when you watch Will Levis throw the football, mm -hmm. that is the thing that had him thrust into the first round conversation because all the tangibles, this guy has them off the charts. And, you know, the other part is the question that we just haven't seen yet. And I think for a lot of people hadn't seen. So what I like from Will Levis today was exactly that. Like the thing that he did well or that people thought he would be good at, he was great at. And that's like the yep. number one thing I tell NFL guys. If you are a big physical receiver, you shouldn't be trying to, you know, dance around like Tyreek Hill or run. Like, no, be big and physical. If yep. you're fast and quick, be fast and quick. If you're a guy with an incredible arm talent, then put that on display. Like, that's what we want from you. That is the thing that we can go into games guaranteeing that we have, and it helps us figure out, okay, how do we fill the rest of the pieces in? Of all the QBs in the league, I really hope Will Levis is a regular blood donor because the veins in his arms are very easy to find, Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> you can see them from 100 yards away, apparently. I'd say, Hawk, probably the scariest thing that we saw on Sunday were some of these quarterback injuries you had Matthew Stafford leave with a thumb injury. Pittsburgh's Kenny Pickett was knocked out with a rib injury. Tyrod Taylor of the Giants, he was taken to the hospital at some point on Sunday. But I want to look at the Vikings because Kirk Cousins left with a leg injury. And there's video of his lower leg doing that same recoil action that we saw when Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles in week one. This is a team that we thought was tanking. Then they won three straight. But if this is what it looks like, with the trade deadline looming on Tuesday, what now for the Vikings? 
Ooh, man, that is, you talk about scary. That is scary. Hmm. Yes, uh, unfortunately, it does look like an Achilles tear. And you heard all the chatter and rumblings about, hey, do they move cousins? And it seemed like they were just like, hey, we are all in. We think we have an advantageous uh, schedule coming up that we could, you know, make a run for it as a team. This is literally the worst case scenario that could happen for the Vikings. And if Kirk Cousins isn't in the lineup, it was already looking bleak. Now it's like, unfortunately, if I'm a Vikings fan, I hate to say it, but I would lose probably the majority of the hope, right? Because I think Kirk Cousins has actually even been an underrated quarterback. Mina Kimes pointed this out this week, and I completely agree. He's played a lot better than the expectation, and he's a guy that when, even when he does incredible, he just doesn't get enough of the credit. And the reason why the Vikings had so much confidence, and even while we look at the Vikings and we didn't say, oh, they've only had two wins or three wins, they're out of it, is because they have Kirk Cousins. So him being out of the lineup, super unfortunate. And it's, you know, it's one of those scenarios where I'm sure the Vikings organization is kicking themselves because who, who would have saw it coming? Yeah, this is just bad luck for the Vikings and for Cousins, who will potentially be entering free agency while recovering from a devastating injury. The second scariest thing I think I saw on Sunday was how many Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey couples costumes Ugh. we saw. Super scary. I'm not a huge fan. <laughs> but I was a fan of the New York fans pretending to be happy while they were watching the Giants and Jets play football. <laughs> it was the ugliest, close, exciting game of the season. There was a DeVito on the field playing quarterback. <laughs> what was your favorite highlight from that game? Oh, man. Um, favorite highlight... I don't know if I had a favorite highlight. Probably the Zach Wilson run for the first third down conversion. He is, I'm not sure if Zach Wilson is what people say he is or if he is a legend, but the Jets came out with a W and I can't help but be a Zach Wilson fan. No, I think my favorite part of that game was hearing how the Giants needed to throw the football and they were down late in that game and did throw the football three straight times to Saquon Barkley behind the line of scrimmage. <laughs> of course. That is spooky season <laughs> at its best. Thanks, Hawk. Thank you guys for having me. I'm Israel Gutierrez. This has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.